0: This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth with my Tuesday morning Bible study. And we opened up with a question uh, about different kinds of Bibles. And I uh, wanted to address this so that we have it on the recording uh, for those that are listening to this later. And and no, I'm not trying to sound like a DJ. I just lost my voice. <laughs> and uh, uh, now you guys have my voice an octave lower. So, um, okay. So, Karen, the question about the Chronology Bible. Is, is it good? Is it? and i interrupted you and i apologize for that
1: That's okay
0: um but the question you were going to ask was
2: how do they know how do they know, <laughs> how do they know?
0: okay so there there are there are three ways that we date things and I'll write off the top of my head number one we date things based off of archaeological fonts like we can say as a historian uh, we know that the Byzantine empire did this because of the tiles and they use all kinds of processes of science. Some of it's carbon dating, some of it's literally just putting the pieces together. Sometimes they even have a chronology in their own homes, you know, so it's kind of weird, but uh, we can date things based off of archeological evidence. So that's number one. Number two, anything written, anything written. So like a lot of the stuff that we know about Jesus was written by most we, we get our sources sources, not just from the Bible. There was a Jewish priest at the time by the name of Josephus who uh, wrote all kinds of stuff about this Jesus guy who also was writing this letter to the Romans to talk about what was happening with the revolt in the first century. So we have writings, so we have archeological evidence and then we have anything written. Then the third way is honestly the story. So uh, for let me give you a, 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 an easy example that has nothing to do with biblical stuff. Um, one of the things that we find in music, for example, musicians, especially music historians, uh, love to make their music extremely important, and so they will find a way to do that. And I'm not making this as if like it's not true, but the Chinese for example, have music that they can date back to 5,000 BCE. So it would make it the earliest written piece of documentation in the entire world. They also have instrument instruments that they say that came from that time frame. Um, is it really 5,000 BCE? Now, the Chinese, uh, in their defense, probably historically have the best accurate detailed chronology than any other empire that we've ever had like I mean they they literally can go back they've got scrolls and scrolls and scrolls but the the funny thing is as I say that but then you go to Arabic countries and they have the same thing they have maps and charts and star charts and all kinds of beautiful things that have made it since the Alexandrian library which is why you go with 300 BCE. When the Alexandrian library was destroyed, almost everything that we had documented on that side of the world was gone. So any historical thing that we could save or pull up uh, disappeared. Some it disappeared with the fire. Some it got stolen. And now you start to see it pop up in uh, auctions and things, you know, it's like, Oh, Hey, check this out. I found that the actual gospel of Jesus, it's probably fake, but that's not the point. Right. So, the story becomes extremely important, make sense? So if I can tell the story in such a way as a historian, then this is the chronology. And I, I say that because the interesting thing that happened in the 20th century was, is all of a sudden we were so fascinated with timelines that like we, we created a, a, a creation timeline. We created a, a timeline of uh, Moses in the, in the wilderness. Then we created a timeline of Joshua and the genocide and the battles that he had. And, and, and all of a sudden we start doing this and then the chronology Bible came, the chronological Bible. It's not one, it, they've done it a couple of times. But the chronological, chronological Bible is, is based mostly on the story. So it's not necessarily what's written, not necessarily in archeology. span mm-hmm. uh, And most of those are not peer reviewed. And I'm being snobby now. (laughs) Like if if I'm going to look at something and I'm going to say, this is as close to the information as we have, I need to have other scholars look at so that I'm not saying as an expert. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I might be an expert in this subject, but in order to what makes me an expert is I recognize that I learn more from my peers than I do myself. Uh And so there's, there's the five minute answer because it's really (laughs) important that we have that discussion. I mean, if you think about it, even in the time of Exodus, you know we're 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 continuing here on twenty nine. but The thing that blows me off, uh, blows me away, in the aspect of chapter twenty nine and thirty is, is that you're creating these rituals, and it and the question always comes: Well, then when did they do these rituals? How did they do the rituals? Did they keep doing these rituals when Jesus was alive? And the answer is uh, maybe, because we don't really know. Right? This is this is where it gets weird. So the Bible itself then becomes written based off of a story, especially the first five books of the Old Testament. So you and I could have this conversation, and then eventually we say, let's write this down. So chapter 29 specifically, when you start talking about the consecration of the priests, this is backwards. The Levitical priests are already consecrated people at the time it's been written, but they're placing it at the time of Moses to put it in in a sense of chronology. You see? So it gets weird, right? Nothing about the Torah is normal. (laughs) And the the funny thing about the funny thing about um, commentary, like uh, I when I went to seminary, I um, had my, my very first professor that, that made the hair stand on the back of my neck. His name is Bernard Brandon Scott. And he's, he, he's, he's a old school, hardcore New Testament scholar. Nobody messes with him. Me. He was one of the guys that helped translate the Gospel of Thomas from Coptic into English. <laughs> he's, he's hardcore. So Brandon says to us, he goes, Josh, or to the class, he says, all of you, when you leave seminary, should not be using commentaries. And we're like, what? They're done by (laughs) scholars. You're supposed to know
1: it by yourself. (laughs) He says,
0: you're supposed to know this by yourself. That's what he said. Uh... He said, so the the commentaries, most of the time, are written based off of a a faith-based denomination. Mm -hmm. So the commentaries you want to watch out for are the ones that says, this is Joshua Bell's commentary to <laughs> da, 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 da. Right. So when you see that, that's a it's not a red flag, it's just this person's opinion, right? And it could be educated opinion. But then you've got the other ones. Well, this this one, like I, I love this version, the Jewish study Bible, mainly because it's done by a bunch of scholars and they sat together and said uh, they peer-reviewed each other. So when they're writing the commentary, you've got historians, you've got language guys, you've got people sitting together saying this is, this is the way it should be. And they'll all say the same thing, Karen. The chronologies are our best estimate. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Because we don't know. <laughs> and so I, I'm not beating a dead horse. I'm just saying <laughs> the chronology is a big deal, but not just that, but the ritual, right? So to day 29, we're going to talk about ritual. How did this happen? Where did this happen? And, and the commentary, even for today, is funny. Like this, ceremony, I'm just going to read you a piece of it. The ceremony consists of six parts washing, robing, anointing the priest, three sacrifices, and the three elements that are unique to priests, robing with the vestments, anointing with holy oil, and the ordination sacrifice constitute their consecration. The other parts, washing in the first two sacrifices, are preparatory. The performance of this ceremony is narrated in, get ready, Leviticus and Exodus, only in those two places. And then and then so right off the bat, there's your key that the commentary is telling us this was done in Leviticus. And now they're telling you how you got to that. point. Remember, I always tell you Leviticus and Deuteronomy were probably written first. And then we went back to tell the story. So let's begin. This is what you shall do to them in consecrating them to serve me as priest. Take a young bull of the herd and two rams without blemish. Also unleavened bread, unleavened cakes with oil <coughs> mixed in and unleavened wafers spread with oil. Make these of choice wheat flour. Place these in one basket and present them in the basket. Along with the bull and the two rams, lead Aaron and his sons up to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then take the vestments and clothe Aaron with the tunic, the robe of the ephod, the ephod and the breastpiece, and gird him with the decorated band of the ephod. Put the headdress on his head and place the holy diadem upon the headdress. Take the anointing oil and pour it on his head, anoint him, then bring his sons forward, clothe them with tunics and wind turbans. Is that what yours says? Caps. Caps, uh, and gird both Aaron and his sons with sashes, and so they shall have a priesthood as their right for all time. You shall then ordain Aaron and sons. Okay, I'm just pause right there. What do you know about the phrase ordaining?
1: We set somebody aside for a special purpose.
0: Great. When you say we, who is that?
1: The church, the, the fellowship. Church, the fellowship. <laughs> I'm thinking of ordained priests.
0: Ordained priests, Good. So that image. ministers also mm-hmm. in this church.
2: I mean, I always yeah. think of the, the part up here backwards as you anoint oh. them with and you poured the oil over the head. To me, that's kind of so there's a ritual involved. Yeah. And prayers. And so, prayers.
0: Mm-hmm. so there's a, there's uh for us in today's culture, whether we're catholic. Protestant any 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 under technically any church under C Christianity has an ordaining process of whom? like There's Sally said
1: ministers she said priests whoever the officiating people are
0: officiating people people that can do the rituals yeah right now ordaining in in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ has always been a topic of discussion. Um, Alexander and Thomas Campbell believe that a congregation should be able to ordain a person to lead them as they saw fit. Um, Part of the problem with this is is that as a faith movement in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, everything that we decided to do had to look completely anti-European. (laughs) everything if it it looks european it's got to go we got to change the name we might keep the ritual but we got to change the name so ordination was always a huge problem so alexander uses the language commissioned for a very long time and what would happen is to say let's say sally's at the church in latin that's where you were at right no altus you're in Altus, right? El Reno. El Reno. <laughs> <laughs> so she's at the church. In, I always get this back. <laughs> I was, was in there.
1: those other places. She too. was in those yeah. other places. Mm-hmm. It's
0: good. So let's say she's at the church in El Reno, and Sally feels a calling into ministry. Notice that it has to come from the first person. I feel called to do ministry, however that looks. Well, Alexander believed that. Kemble believed that. Sally's calling was as legitimate as you can get because. God approaches everyone in the New Testament by them first feeling a sense of call as well as the Hebrew Bible prophets. So Sally then goes to the the leadership body of the church, which would have been the elders at the beginning of our our movement. And and she would say, I feel called to this. And they would, it was interesting because we really argued about this. The elders would say, yeah, we see that. Yeah, we totally see that. Or you could have them say, no, we don't see that at all. Totally true, <laughs> and uh, you're a woman. You know, since was... all
1: I did was move furniture around, right, right. <laughs>
0: since you all you do is move furniture around, but let's say that the elders could could have said and had did say, well, you're a woman. Nope. so that's strike one. Strike two. Uh, we we really just see all you do is move furniture around, <laughs> and then uh, strike three would have been lead
1: children, and we don't care about that. That's right,
0: <laughs> and and you just you just just stay with the children, and everything's going to be fine. Well. Obviously we've evolved a little bit more than that, but at the beginning, the goal would have been so let's say they said yes. The elders said yes. So then they would have wanted to educate her somehow, train her up in the ways of the Bible, uh, maybe get her a degree in Christian education. I don't know. Small has
1: that when I went to El Reno.
0: That's right. So you 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 get, I was
1: here before that.
0: That I was gonna say so you have these these ways that you lift these people up. And then what we did is is we said, okay, so Sally is now commissioned to work at the First Christian Church El Reno, specifically with youth ministry or children's ministry. And then it's done. The church has a ceremony in the worship service. Should have, it didn't, but they were supposed to. Had a ceremony, the elders would have laid hands on her and it would have been official. Notice how I said that. We didn't use anointing oil. Why? European. European. <laughs> 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 it looked European. So we didn't okay. like your piece. It and wasn't
1: an ordination. We only ordained ministers. We commissioned Christian education directors if you choose to do that. That's exactly That's right. right.
0: And then the only one. Somebody
1: p- in my class got commissioned.
0: And that happens. So you could get commissioned if you were like Sarah. I wanted to do that. Or Sally. But if you wanted to be a minister, you had to be ordained. Yes. And to be ordained really was a messed up mix up until. No, I would still argue it's, it was still messed up. It's still, <laughs> still messed, messed up. We still don't exactly know how to ordain people. But for us, the congregation ordained the clergy. We came up with this idea because it's a biblical precept. At the very beginning, these people are being set aside to lead the ritual. That's why I'm making a big deal out of this. So here in Exodus chapter 29, here's your people that the church, God, has asked to lead the people, Israel. And you can see how it's morphed through throughout the millennia to to the point today where it's such a jumbled mess that it's really hard to figure out or discern what ordination means. Mm. At the end of the day, ordination biblically means the person being called up by the congregation or the fellowship to lead them in the ritual. And for us, that that how you get to that point is where it gets flimsy. Uh,
2: well, it makes me feel a little sad that we have discounted mm-hmm. the importance of the, I don't want to say, I don't even know what to say, ceremony or the person mm-hmm. or position or. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a struggle because if, even if you go outside the Christian church disciples of Christ, part of the reason that they really avoided the oil is because the Methodists were doing it also. <laughs> so uh, if the Methodist the didn't
1: mind bringing European things right. over because it was still what's his name
0: Wesley Wesley he, and he was he was an episcopal priest I mean he worked for the Church of England like he didn't he didn't play he just it was like he,
1: he started a Methodist thing over there though didn't
0: he that's right yeah. that's right and
1: they just called him Methodist because they had a method for everything that's exactly did. right. Wow. So he never never broke from the
0: Church of England in a lot of ways. He he never really had a problem with it. At one point or another, they said, well, this is really outside of our realm. And they still recognize each other, but they don't participate very well together. You (laughs) you see how this works? And here it is. Here's your first. I'm I'm bringing this all up because here's your first moment where you're like, okay, this language is going to cause problems. (laughs) Right off the bat. You shall ordain Aaron and his sons. That 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 sentence right there has caused more problems since the beginning of the institution of God than anything else. I, I feel like you see people being ordained uh, for lots of bad reasons and a lot of good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why Alexander Campbell, one of our founders, really wanted us to focus in on the phrase commissioned, because what we're asking is, is people to be leading congregations based off of what they feel called to versus God telling you, this is who's going to be ordained. Let's keep going. I, I didn't, I didn't mean to. Yeah, no, I meant to do that. First <laughs> ten: lead the bull up to the front of the tent of meeting, and let Aaron and his sons lay their hands upon the head of the bull, slaughter the bull before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting and take some of the bull's blood and put it on the horns of the altar With your finger, then pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar and take all the fat that covers the entrails, the protuberance of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat on them and turn them into smoke upon the altar. Think about that for a second. You you (laughs) can eat it, but nobody's going to because it's in the inside. What are those organs? What do those organs do?
2: Give you life.
0: Give you life. Sustain life. Mm -hmm. And sustain life. Remember... We've had this conversation one time in the past that the reason that they didn't touch blood is it was the life essence. This is even more so, right? These are the things that keep them alive.
2: The Blood keeps all of them alive. All of the
0: mm-hmm. insides. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> well, they're not. So, they're,
1: so it makes it sense that it's essence.
0: Exactly. It's,
1: they're touching it now though, because it set on your finger,
0: put it on your finger and you put it on the altar and then you pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. The fat part is uh, it's really so the fire will start to say <laughs> the, the protuberance of the, the liver, the two kidneys with the fat on them and turn them into smoke. So right off the bat, the, the kidneys and the liver obviously had some religious significance mm. to their culture. So they put it on the fire to, to burn the rest is of the fl- of
2: interesting it says. With your finger, obviously you can't get a whole lot of blood. Yeah, your that's
0: true. Super <laughs> easy to clean. You know,
2: yeah, or a yeah. hand
0: or something. Now, who the, the the this is where I wanted Robert here for, but who's doing this?
1: Oh, I'm assuming that Aaron and his sons are. No, Moses has got to be doing it because they're doing it to them. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Oh,
1: that's right.
0: Someone has to ordain them. So we're we're going to assume that it's Moses doing the service.
1: Because otherwise, we don't know who it might be. Bubba. It's
0: probably Bubba's Bubba
2: doing boys. this because he doesn't mind looking at the entrails. Well, he's, he's probably thinking, and "I and can all that other kind of stuff." Put I'm some olive oil
0: on that, and it'll taste good. Uh, <laughs> the The rest. So then he goes. The rest of the flesh of the bull, its hide and its dung, shall be put to the fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. Now, I just had to check this because when I was preparing for this this morning. I remember getting to that part, and I wrote it down, said, you need to look this up right then. Because remember, sin uh, is, for the Hebrew world, is not the same as what we would call sin. So 24, 29, verse 14.
1: with
0: this yeah this is it so hatta is uh, the remember if you don't remember the the official word for sin in the Hebrew Bible is hatta which means to miss the mark uh, this is that exact word the word here is hatta which is a plural form of the word to make sure that it covers everyone uh, it it's a noun, feminine singular uh, word. So uh, this is this is their definition of a sin offering. This matters because a sin for them. Do you remember how this works? It's complicated. Well, it's not really a sin. Gosh. Yes, Betty.
2: My, uh, my commentary says that this, this sin offering is because they have to purify the altar.
0: That would be mostly right. Yes.
2: And then making atonement for it.
0: Y- yes. The, the, the problem with it is, is it doesn't tell us what the sin is. Okay. So the, the, the answer is correct. The commentary is right. They're, they're atoning the altar. They're getting it ready to go for the next part. But chata, or the, the word sin here, is a, is a big problem for the whole culture because chata means that you somehow played the role of God. Uh, remember, the first time we hear the word sin in the Hebrew Bible is when Cain Kills Abel. Why? Because he played the role of God. He took life away. If I overpower somebody, whether it's physically, sexually, emotionally, I'm playing God. I'm playing the creator. You see? So sin for them means that I've, I've and I'm, I'm very much summarizing this, but it's the idea that when I played God, um, that's the sin. Because I've missed the mark. I'm supposed to be walking in this path, doing what God has asked me to do. And when I choose not to do that, I decide to play, play God. So for them, the sin offering here, the is not just for them as individuals, but also Israel itself As as a group. That's why I'm making a big deal out of this. So if the priest is the only one that can offer the sin offering, he also has to have his sins purified before he can offer the purification ritual for all of Israel.
1: Which they have somewhere in this exactly. whole thing.
0: Yeah. So that's why this is such a big deal. This and, and notice that it goes outside the camp. Yeah. We don't we don't want that stuff here in the camp. None of that matters to us because we have purified it. So all the rest of our sin goes out into the wilderness.
2: But doesn't that also make
0: it a holy place it absolutely makes it a holy place so now that the tabernacle has been established we've got a tent place and we've got an altar and so now this the only thing that can be in here is holy It has to, it has to stay there obviously this stuff is here but you got to get it out as quickly as you can <laughs> like it's a, its a logistic thing because that's where your sin is and notice what it says the bull it's hide the dung Shall be put to the fire outside the camp.
1: Mine says intestines.
0: Intestines. Whatever
1: else is left.
0: Whatever else Mm. is left. Yeah, it's stuff that they're not going to use anyway. Interesting. Okay. Questions, comments? Because then we get to go to the next aspect of the ritual. Super exciting.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, so next, take the one ram let Aaron and his sons lay their hands upon the ram's head. See that you see the laying of the hands? This mm-hmm. is not just. it
1: on the animal now. It's on the animal <laughs>
0: now. Slaughter the ram, take its blood and dash it against all the sides of the altar. Mm-hmm. Cut up the ram uh, into sections, wash its entrails and legs and put them with its quarters and its head. Turn all the ram into smoke upon the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. A pleasing odor, an offering by fire to the Lord. Then take the other ram and let Aaron and his sons lay their hands upon the ram's head, slaughter the ram, and take some of its blood and put it on the ridge of Aaron's right ear. So what your says? Lobes. Lobes. Mm -hmm. yeah, that would be a good translation. On the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the on the lobes of his son's right ears. I'm just changing it for the sake of (laughs) symmetry. Aaron's right ear and on the and the lobes of his son's right ears and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toes of their right feet and dash the rest of the blood against every side of the altar round about take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle upon Aaron and his vestments and also upon his sons and his son's vestments thus shall he and his vestments be holy as well as his sons and his son's vestments you shall take the ram, the fat parts, broad tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the protuberance on the liver, the two kidneys with the fat on them, and the right thigh, for this is the ram of ordination. Add one flat loaf of bread, one cake of oil bread, and one wafer from the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. Place all of these palms of Aaron and his sons and offer them as an elevation offering before the Lord, which... It's kind of lost in translation. Yeah, it
1: says wave, and that yeah. never made any sense
0: to me. It's it's supposed to be basically a uh, an offering specifically to God, but <clears throat> it's it's a, it's lost in translation. It's so you're supposed to like lift them, hmm. like that's that's what they that's that's what that's they say. would do. Yeah. Uh, Place all these palms on Aaron and his sons and offer them as an elevation offering before the Lord. Take them from their hands and turn them into smoke upon the altar. With the burnt offering as pleasing odor before the Lord, because God loves smoke. It is an offering by fire to the Lord. Then take the breast of Aaron's ram of ordination and offer it as an elevation offering before the Lord. It shall be your portion. You shall consecrate the breast that was offered as an elevation uh, offering. And the thigh that was offered as a gift offering from the ram of ordination, from that which was Aaron's and from that which was his son's. And those parts shall be a due for all time. You hear that? Now, now we're saying every time that you ordain someone, you have to do this. And those parts shall be a due for all time. What does your, your say? Perpetual due? share. Perpetual share. Interesting translation. Really. <laughs> Perpetual share or due. For all time, for the Israelites to Aaron and his descendants, for they are a gift, and so shall they be a gift from the Israelites, their gift to the Lord out of their sacrifices of well-being. Pause.
2: Why on the did they have to put the blood on their thumbs and their toes? Is that because we is human form? Use our thumbs and toes. I mean, it's hard to walk without a big toe. That's
0: true. I I I was just getting ready to say I I think I don't think it's going to say anything in the commentary, but my. my, What's your commentary say?
2: Mine says they put it on those because they're in their peace, priestly garments, so they do it on their exposed. Um. Blood is placed on the exposed parts, representing the whole of the pre.
1: Because I got ear, hand, and foot, <laughs> lobe, thumb, and big toe. I, I
0: like I like the idea. Uh, the there's a the other thing that's interesting historically about this is, is that we we you could have easily have said left right but remember left-handed people even back then were not considered normal right so anything that was not every everyone writes with their right everyone <laughs> leads with their right foot that's the ones that aren't broken right and i and i'm i'm throwing out Uh, a hypothesis not that this is fact but if if i was to go back to this anthropologically the right hand side matters for them you you don't steer from the port side right you steer from the starboard side everything in their life is based off of where the sun rises and sets Mm -hmm. you know so it's not that the right hand is the the side that the sun sets or whatever but the right has everything to do with it, and like Kim was pointing out, that if you cut off someone's right toe, they they have a really hard they're they're crippled, right? Like that's that's a big thing. You cut off their right thumb, they they can't they can't work anymore. They have to learn how to use this uh, if they're all right-handed. And if you put it on the right ear, that's the voice that God's going to speak to you, in, right? So. Uh, because god only speaks to right-handed people i, I would, that's it's a it's an anthropological guess but i'm, I'm going to say that that right hand has a lot to do with it and i would i would agree with uh betty's commentary i think it's i think it's even more medieval than we necessarily know uh, but at the same time i think there's something something visceral about this uh, that gets kind of lost in translation
2: it says in our commentary in the <clears throat> Hebrew study Bible, as 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 in the case of applying blood to the horns of the altar, vulnerable extremities of the priest representing their entire bodies are docked with blood, apparently to purge them of impurity.
0: Which is very similar to what Hurst mm-hmm. was saying. So yeah, I, I would this it, it was it was the part that was exposed. So yep. Betty's commentary is right again. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I like, I like the imagery, uh, it's, it's, uh, but you can hear the Levitical language in there, um, you can hear, you can hear the Levitical language, and this is, will shall be done forever and ever, amen, you know, yeah. you can, you can hear that, and, uh, Yeah, I don't know. Obviously, I did not have any of these things happen when I was ordained. So that was I'm probably not really a minister. We do. I, gotta do it <laughs> I, did, I did cook pulled pork that day. So, uh, so I guess that'll work. Um, <clears throat> okay, so now here's where it gets interesting for me. Um we're gonna talk about the vestments, but then there's the uh, uh this is this is so remember, you're writing you're backwards, like we're already doing these things, dot, 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 but we got to go back and tell you how they came in, into being. So this first part you get is the ord- ordination of the priests right, and the servants. The part that always gets confusing to me, and, and I'm probably going to mess it up, is, is that we have to remember that basically at the tabernacle and the temple, there was offerings being done every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always get this messed up because in my head, I think, well, then what is Pesach? Then what does is, what is Passover mean? Well, that Pesach, and, and this is helping me stay focused, Passover was on behalf of the entire nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. And you can only do that once a year. Make sense? Yep. Uh, every day, you still have to get your off your sins, your moments offered up them to the Lord that where I always got confused and would be like, okay, so does that mean that I, that I have to give a dove every single day if I, you know, if I cuss at my donkey, <laughs> right? Like, is that, is that what I'm supposed to do? Oh, uh, and then, and then, um, I never did get to ask this question of Lisa, uh, Dr. Le- Lisa Davis. And if, if I'm making these burnt offerings every single day, At what point does it become a financial burden, right? And and then it it becomes down to that conversation that by the time you get to Christ, this has nothing to do with Jesus necessarily having to be the Messiah, but it does have this, the money changer thing has always bugged me because they would have always had those people outside the temple. The part that's upsetting to Jesus is they're now inside. Yeah, Yeah. they've moved inside. So you'd and already it's a holy those.
1: place, and they shouldn't be there.
0: Yeah, you shouldn't. You should not be doing that inside the temple. This was just what upsets him. But those people are on the outside already. Like you, you're, we knew that they were there. So that would make it so that if I had to do a kill a dove every single day, I would have to pay for it, and I don't have to use my doves, and that there becomes a problem there. You know, it's a half. You're not really using Torah. It's got to come from you. You've got to feel the pain.
2: Can you not take your
0: own dove? Yes. Yeah. Oh. So after a while though, you're not gonna have to can't run out
1: of dust. It sounds to me
2: like that's a judgment call. If you go to the market to buy a dove, right? you are relying on somebody's judgment saying that this is that's right, a pure dub or whatever. whatever it has to be. Yeah.
0: yeah. This is this is now you can see start to see the problem because it instantaneously it it's this is great. These, these, these ideas are awesome, but logistically it becomes extremely complicated. It's almost impossible for you to be able to do this. Um, and I, and I might be being pessimistic, but I, I,
1: you weren't supposed to be that evil and then you wouldn't have to do the
0: offering. That that's often. it. <laughs> I mean, that's the hope is that. It, Except if
1: they've got thousands of people, they'd still do it every day because out of all those, somebody would have to,
0: somebody's going to have to do a burnt offering. But the, the, the idea that as a human being trying to live Torah to its fullest meant that I would have to almost do a burnt offering every day. <laughs> like at some point, some way, somehow, I would have to. They
1: couldn't burn that many animals in one day.
0: There's no way. Yeah. So what we do find out, though. It's funny you say that, Sally. We do find out that once the temple gets built, they had multiple al- altars. Oh, okay. So they had like to handle that problem. Like, they had five or six because there were so many. Well, by that
1: time know. they had lots of priests too. Exactly. So yeah. they had all these. Priests. Now they just have
0: one. Right. So then, and, and then, and then my brain goes automatically to the, okay. So if I only got one and his sons, man, he, they're they're just they're never sleeping. Yeah. Like they're always catching <laughs> stuff on fire. Yeah. Well, my maybe
2: they have a schedule <laughs> printed on the wall. <laughs> they did have a schedule printed <laughs> on the wall. my brain goes to. I wonder if those people that were in charge of the offerings, well, you were just here yesterday.
0: Right. And
2: if they tried to outsmart and start going to different stations, people wouldn't know how often they were coming.
0: I I think that definitely is taking place. Probably. I'm definitely thinking that took place. So I, I didn't mean to rabbit trail, but it's just, there's this automatic thing for me because this next part that we're going to read is talking about Everyone has to give a daily offering. There's a, there's a sense of, like the commentary that in the Jewish study Bible has this obligatory daily offering. That's the language. So uh, we'll keep going. We're going to start at verse 31. 20. Right? 29, 20, 90. Verse 29. So the sacral vestments of Aaron shall pass on to his sons after him for them to be anointed and ordained in. He among his sons who becomes priests in his stead, who enters the tent of meeting, mm-hmm. I have Oh, into the sanctuary, uh, into the big, room, big okay. room. You shall take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in the sacred precinct. And Aaron and his sons shall eat in the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket at the entrance of the tent of meeting. These things shall be eaten only by those for whom expiation was made with them. What's yours say? Atonement. Atonement. Yeah. Yeah. It's made with them when they were ordained and concentrated, they may not be eaten by a layman for they are holy right there. Very important part that you all need to notice. This, this is one of those languages that Paul ends up arguing with people about. Um, One of the weird traditions that we, we just really can't prove, but it's very obvious was taking place was as they were feeding other people. Like we could, we could serve the Gentiles. They don't care. Uh, like it became a problem. So, but notice that at the offering is done, they're telling you who can have this and who cannot. Um, may not be eaten by a lame person. A, it almost
2: be like a restaurant. Right. I mean, they. Were, yeah, like <laughs> a restaurant. I mean, you know. Yes. Yeah. I can feed you, but I can't feed
0: you. I mean. So the, segregation. But. I think it's extremely important to recognize that while that is happening, they're, they're saying this that only. Only the sacrificial part can be assigned to the priest. Like this is the only priests are the only ones allowed to eat it. Then they have to consume it. That's the part that we don't have yet. When you get into well, Leviticus.
1: In 34, it says you, if they don't eat it, they burn it up.
0: Oh, well, fantastic. And if the, any of the flesh <laughs> of ordination or any of the bread is left until morning, you shall put what left is to the fire and it shall not be eaten for it is holy. This is where uh, we start to have the phrase that once you bless the cup and the bread, on Sunday morning, Catholic priests specifically did this and Lutherans started to do that. Yeah, no, Lutherans still do this. Where, and and Methodists and Episcopals, and Presbyterian, not nah, Presbyterian, not so much. So when I'm at the table and I bless the bread, I don't bless the bread, our elders do, but our bl- elders bless the bread in the cup. In every faith tradition, what happens is, is you have to get rid of that every single time. So once that's mm-hmm. happened, that has become sacrificial. And you're not supposed to just put it in the fridge and use it again the next week. Um, oh, I be-
2: remember pouring little glasses out. Yes, <laughs> oh, that's, that's why you did that.
0: That's why the, communi- the, the communion well, prepares. Yeah. That's why they threw away the, the communion cups. And we didn't, well,
1: you- we had glass ones. We, we had, had glass ones. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. yeah,
0: you had to have them washed. But in all Our seriousness, bitch, she was, you his, historically... Once that yeah. stuff is done, you're supposed to, to throw it away. Uh, or this is where like, you hear the stories of St. Francis feeding the birds and stuff with the communion offerings mm-hmm. on Sundays, that he fed the birds with the bread because it has to be consumed or it has to be consumed by fire or flesh. That's the idea. Where did they get it? Right, right here. There. This is where you get that idea. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So uh, this, this becoming the most important part uh, that has carried over in every aspect of those that follow God is the one true God. Um, so then, I just need you all to hear that part. This is this is why the language gets to be a problem, right? If we start talking about communion as a sacrifice, that bread that we just blessed is actually Jesus's body, which is what the Catholics have said. And if Jesus died as an offering which is also the language that they use, you have to get rid of it, which is also why today, I mean, I'm not being facetious. It used to be the Catholic priests would pour, uh, they would, this is very, very detailed, but it's important that you all hear this because this moment right here that we're reading about is tied directly to communion in the Catholic faith. That's why it's a big deal. Why does that matter to us? Well, we all came from them, so it's probably good that we know where that came from. So the wine had to be blessed in a certain way. You cannot just drink regular bottle of wine. You can have a bottle of wine as long as it was consecrated by a priest, uh, specifically in a certain way. The bread, the bread was safe. The bread was open. Like you could have unleavened bread. You could have real bread. You could have all kinds of things. But the wine, the most important part, the blood of Christ, had to be consecrated in the specific way, in the Catholic faith. What happened was, is we found out that, you know, we always, it, it was always inappropriate, but we did it anyway. We always joked that the, if you wanted to find where all the extra wine went, you asked the priest because they were the ones stumbling around outside, you know, <laughs> but what happened was is it was just the process. They would have this bottle of wine and they didn't tell the priest to only pour out what you need. <laughs> so the priest literally would take these whole bottles of wine and pour it into the cup huge cup that they had to share with the whole parish. And then after it was done, they have to consume it in front of the whole church. Think about that big old chalice full of wine. They have to drink the whole thing. Yeah. They got drunk quick. There's nothing that they could do about it. So what happened is, is about, uh, I want to say the 18th or 19th century, they started to consecrate the wine with water. So they were watering down the wine. They also told the priest, "Stop using the whole bottle. We're sorry <laughs> we didn't communicate that very well. We didn't
1: mean for you to get drunk. We didn't mean for
0: you to get drunk." <laughs> and then, I'm, and I'm being totally sincere when I say this. No,
1: that's that's a, that's a joke from forever. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, and then and in the 20th century, you start to see where yeah. the Catholic yeah. Church has then started to modify how they do that, so that so that when they're uh, when they're ingesting the blood of Christ on behalf of everyone, it's not causing them harm. Yeah. And so you see this beautiful transition that takes place. But that's where we get this language, right here, what we just got done reading. So you 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 either have to consume it or it has to be discarded. But you can't discard the body and blood of Jesus. You see? That's a problem. This is but here, if it's a burnt offering, you have to throw it away or burn it up, burn it what's left. Now, this is what you shall offer upon the altar, two yearling lambs each day regularly and you shall offer the one lamb in the morning and you shall offer the other lamb at twilight there shall be a tenth of a measure of choice flour with a quarter of hin and beaten oil mixed in and a libation of a quarter of hin of wine for the lamb see how this is working your the language wine bread mm-hmm. and you shall you shall offer the lamb at twilight repeating with it the meal offering of the morning with its libation an offering by fire for a pleasing odor to the Lord, a regular burnt offering throughout the generations, at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. For there I will meet you, and there will I speak with you, and there I will meet with the Israelites, and it will be with you. Sorry, Betty. Yeah, knocked out. For there I will meet with you, and there I will speak with you, and there I will meet with the Israelites, and it will. And it shall be sanctified by my presence. Now we're creating the Holy of Holies. I will sanctify the tent of meeting and the altar. And I will consecrate Aaron uh, and his son to serve me as priests. I will abide among the Israelites and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God. This is that really cool uh, Yahweh passage where it's like, I am. That's the, the word of God. Who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might abide among them, I, the Lord their God. So, a uh, beautiful passage, right? I mean, it's, but you could start to see where we get all of our traditions from. Um, does not mean that they're the same. It's very important that we signify that. Uh, I, would, I would argue that part of what we see at the time of Christ. Is, is that even this has lost its significance with the people of the first century. So uh, it's a struggle. right? It's, it's never something that goes away. Uh, we, we struggle with it every week when we talk about communion. I try very hard to not use words like Eucharist, uh, even though that's kind of what it is, because Eucharist has different connotations. Um, and I want my Catholic pre- prior Catholic brothers and sisters to recognize that I'm not a priest and what I offer is not the same, um, as what a priest does. It's similar, but it's, it's not the same. I'm not transforming this into something. I don't have to ingest all the rest of the grape juice. You know, um, this is also why the Christian church disciples of Christ decided to not use wine after world war II. Um, because we, we knew, knew that there was a lot of people in our church that were having this service. And when wine was being prepared, because not every church did it, but a lot of churches were still using wine. It was, it was knocking our soldiers off the way. And uh, so we stopped using wine at that time, even though most of you that grew up in the Christian church, probably don't remember having wine. It was yeah. mostly on the East coast. And as far as we can tell, Geographic. Um, there are some churches, depending on where you go in the Christian church, that still use wine. But there was a long conversation about it before you decided to do that. Because again, wine is European. <laughs> right?
1: Well, they drank wine in Israel because that's what they had.
0: That's right. That's right. You
1: can't keep the grape juice forever <laughs> if you don't have a refrigerator.
0: Nope. It turns the wine eventually. <laughs> on
1: its own and it's mm-hmm. sour. Mm-hmm. We've had ours do that sometimes when we were using whole bottle
0: thingies. Yeah, do you remember the uh, uh during the pandemic nice we bought all those uh you know the same things that we use now? Those will those will spoil.
1: I would think they would sooner yeah. or later.
0: They they last they they have they have a two-year expiration date. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, so far we've been okay then it hadn't yeah. been quite two years yeah. since we there started. But
0: well, what happened was is when we first had the pandemic, I had a whole bunch in the back. Uh, just in case we had a flu outbreak or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was like, and we used them for our shut-ins. Mm. Well, we, they bought them before I came. And uh, we, we started using them for the pandemic. And who doggy, that was some <laughs> grape juice she moonshine. Asked. Yeah. <laughs> My throat didn't hurt after that, I can tell you. So. That's
1: what you need, some sour wine. That's what I
0: do. I need, I need that. So I, uh, I'm going to go ahead and stop the recording. We'll begin again with chapter 30 next week.